So there's there's a number of uh, reasons why Jonah, I think especially for Christians, is a missed opportunity. Um, it's one of those stories that if you grew up in Sunday school, this is like an anchor story, right? This is one that you went back to over and over and over again. Um, you know, story about a, everybody calls it a whale, but it actually calls it a fish, right? Story about a fish. And so it's a story that is really appealing to kids and, and often goes back to kids. But interestingly enough, the, the fish is hardly mentioned at all, right? It's only mentioned three times in the whole story. And so the fish is not even central to it, even though that's kind of how we've sold it, right? So even when Zach and I were working on this little image, we're like, we can't have the fish in there, okay? <laughs> the fish is not the point, okay? It is not the point of the book. But for those of us who grew up in Sunday school, often that's all we think about is just, oh, it's just about a fish. It's just a kid's story. But not only that, sometimes the thing that's difficult to take is it's full of um, like fantastical things almost. It's full of some wild stuff, really. Like the fish obviously is a wild part of it. There's, you know, the episode with the plant that grows quickly and dies quickly. We'll get into that in the coming weeks. There's also just a conversion of a whole city, like right on the spot. So you read this book. This is one of the books that, you know, you're hoping your non-Christian friends don't bring it up, right? You're kind of hoping that they don't even know that it's in there, that they're just going to avoid the conversations because it's got some wild things in it. And um, that's the reality of it. It does have some wild things. And the, the Bible itself has some crazy stuff in it that we have to work through that, um, if we're honest, challenges us. And are some re there's really good questions there that are it's really hard to find the answers to them. So there's a number of reasons, and, and probably even more than that, that make Jonah a book to pass over for many believers. But we're actually going to spend seven weeks looking at the book of Jonah. Okay, we're going to try and take a deep dive into this book. And I hope that this gives you an opportunity to take another look at a book. Maybe that you thought you knew about really well, but now as we take a deeper dive into it, you're going to see some things that God is going to teach us. And, and why would we spend seven weeks on Jonah? Well, we've always got the trump card answer of 2 Timothy 3.16, right? That all of the word of God is profitable. Every single part of it, right? From beginning to end, we've been given the Bible. And the Bible is the most influential book in the history of the world. And for us as believers, we know that it's the truth of the word of God. And God chose to put Jonah in there. Whether you land in the camp of its, you know, historical narrative or it's, you know, Old Testament parable or it's, uh, you know, some sort of images, all kinds of different things. But what we know is that God has put it in the word of God. And so it's profitable for us. But there's three things that we're going to see probably every week, okay, as we look at the book of Jonah. There's three things that I want you to keep your, your um, eyes open to. And the first is the sovereignty of God, okay? We're going to see in this book that God is sovereign, that through any circumstances, difficult, crazy, not understandable, all these different circumstances— God is still sovereign through the noise, through everything, right? God is still sovereign. And so we want to actually look at this story and see how does the hand of God work through things that we can't understand. And if we're honest, we are 
you know, 300 years past the Enlightenment. We are postmodern people. We live in a world of science and materialism. That is our bent. And so do we still have categories in our mind for a sovereign God who can work supernaturally, who can work through circumstances that are really difficult to explain? Do we have a category like that in our minds? Is God still sovereign? But we're also going to see that uh, this theme of compassion or grace is going to come through loud and clear. Often the Old Testament itself kind of gets the the, um, categorization that it's just all about like this angry, mean God who's out to destroy people who are not, you know, in relationship with him. And we definitely see there's a justice side of God. But here in Jonah, we see like super clearly the side of a God who is gracious, a God who is compassionate, a God who wants to be in relationship with people. So we see that God is sovereign. We see that God is compassionate. And lastly, we also see that God is a God of mission, right? So throughout the Old Testament, throughout the whole Bible, God is on mission. God is never not interested in certain people. God never had a, has a category for people that are like outside of, you know, relationship with him. He actually is continually pursuing mission. And so when we look at this short little two-page book in my Bible, we see that God is pursuing people. God is on a rescue mission. And this is what we're going to see throughout this book um, is these three themes. So, so each week... Keep these in mind, okay? The sovereignty of God, the compassion or the grace of God, and the mission of God. So how do we make sense of Jonah? Let's look at the first couple of verses. You know, we're just going to go through actually verses 1 through 3 uh, this morning. We're just going to cover those ones to get introduced to uh, Jonah here. So in verses 1 and 2, it says this, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So here we see, we're introduced to Jonah. And Jonah is this, um, we'll call him like a reluctant prophet, right? God has a calling for Jonah. He's like a regular prophet. This is a, a book that sits in a section called the Minor Prophets. And then there's the Major Prophets. Minor prophets are just shorter ones, and, and major prophets are just longer books. But these are, these are people who were given a message. They had a calling from God. And in this one, we see that the messages, you see at the beginning of verse 2, arise and go. Arise and go. These two words, kum and lek. These two words, are they actually they work together. It, it doesn't just mean arise and I've got a mission for you if you so desire. It's actually these two words, when they come together, have a sense of urgency to them. It means arise and go like now. Now is the time. This is your calling, Jonah. Now is your opportunity to go out and be my prophet. And um, it actually got me thinking this week, uh, you know, Dustin was um, grieving the loss of his grandmother. And as he was looking through some of um, some old stuff, I think, from her, you know, materials she had, he was sending me pictures of their involvement in this building that we're actually sitting in here. Like his grandfather was on the 
building team, I think, that raised the funds to actually build the building that we're sitting in right here and now. And I was struck again of the lives that we are all living and the time and the place that God has for each of us, right? Dusty's grandparents were living in a time and they were responding to God's leading in their life and they had one life to live. And even now we can reflect on the life that they lived. But we are in the same place. Just like Jonah had a specific calling, God has a calling for each one of us. And for some of you, that calling was even like joining citizens. That's been a part of your journey is like listening, discerning. What is this call that God has for me? But one thing we all should realize and should know is that we only have like one life to live, right? We have one go at this. And so whatever season of life we're in, we should be deeply trying to hear from God and discerning, Holy Spirit, what do you have for me in this life? What do you have for me in this season of my life? And often even, God, what do you have for me in this week and this day? A sensitivity, an urgency to the message. But this message that Jonah got was actually a shocking message for him. It was tough to swallow. And there could have been a number of reasons why it was really tough to swallow. It might have just been a fear factor, right? To go to the Assyrians who were um, just known in the region as basically like a terrorist state. Okay, these were some bad dudes. And we can still see today, they've, they've inscribed on stone what they did, you know, after battles and after wars and the way that they, um, they decapitated people during war, the people that they would conquer in a battle, the ones that were left, there's actually, an, um, they've inscribed that they would cut off the one arm and the two legs of the people that were left living so that they could shake the hand of the loser as they were dying. This is the kind of people that the Assyrians were, okay? These were people that were terrorist people. It would be, the calling would be like, remember when kind of ISIS was in its like heyday at its peak? The calling would be for you as a believer to go in and proclaim a message to the people in ISIS, which was actually in Nineveh, which was the same place, right? It was the same place geographically that Jonah went to. That, that, that's the calling that Jonah had. And so could have been fear, right? Could have been fear that, that got him to question that. It could have been just the fact that they were non-Israeli people. They were non-Jewish people. They were an other state. And we're going to see this theme come up actually in, in Jonah again, that the people that were outside of the promised people, Israel, just had lesser importance for Jonah. Or maybe it was just the fact that this seems so impossible, God, that you want to send me into this place to speak a message to these people. That just seems way too impossible. We have a calling too, don't we? We have a calling as God's people to go into places to go to, maybe it's our work, or maybe it's to go to friends, or maybe it's to go to um, a new location. It could even be that we have a calling from God to go to another nation, to be a missionary, to go overseas. And there are many things that can hold us back as well. Probably if we're honest, like the, the biggest would just be fear, right? The fear of even just admitting that we are believers. Maybe we would be 
happy to do that. But probably deep down, all of us have like a little bit of fear of, am I going to have all the answers that people have, the challenges that are raised, the questions? What if someone brings up Jonah? You know, what am I going to say about that book? You know, what is it going to be? And, and I know I've faced this a lot too. Um, even last fall, I was in Montreal at a, at a church planting conference. And uh, my high school years, I grew up in Montreal. And so my best friend in high school was there. So I got in touch with him. He's an Irishman. So we went to an Irish pub in Montreal. And we were, we were chatting and talking. And he knew I was there at a church planting conference. He, he's known for years. I, I did Bible studies with him in high school. And he was still, he was just... Um, asking me some really hard questions as we're sitting there talking. And he's just like probing into things. And man, do you really believe that there's a hell? Like that people will be sent there? Do you really believe that? Do you really believe these things that you are teaching? You believe that the Bible is actually the word of God? That he, like, he has given that from God to us? And, and I'm sitting there thinking... I don't have all the really good answers. I don't even probably have medium good answers to all these questions, right? These are the moments that are, they, they bring up fear or they maybe cause us to recoil. They cause us to do actually, often they cause us to do what Jonah did, right? Look at verse three, what Jonah did. But Jonah rose to flee. Jonah rose to flee. In that moment of getting a word from God to go on mission, Jonah's like, I don't think so. I'm not going. I'm not going over there. And Jonah literally goes in the opposite direction, right? Jonah was in northern Israel. The calling is to go to Nineveh, which is to the east. He goes to Tarshish, which, which they believe is in modern-day Spain, He's going completely the opposite direction. His calling is to go east and he goes to the west and he runs away from God. But listen, I think this is really important for all of us. Running away from God is not primarily about a location, right? Running away from God is not necessarily about, you know, eating lunch somewhere else to avoid a certain person or just not going to someone's house. Running away from God begins with a position of the heart. And this is the thing that Jonah was struggling with and was trying to work through. It's the position of the heart. When Paul explains the gospel in Romans, he gives the best explanation of the gospel. And he talks about the sinfulness of man. He begins by explaining two different ways of seeing sinfulness. One is just what Paul calls the pagan, right? The pagan is just someone who doesn't know God at all and is not seeking God, is, is just going away from God, running away from God. This is the pagan. That's one way. But the other way, Paul says, is the person that actually knows God, the religious person, person that knows all the right answers, but yet in the end, they're still running away from God. So the location is not always the key. It's just the fact that our hearts are actually running away from God. And, and the gospel throughout the Bible is simply that, is that we are running away from God. And so what Jonah does here physically, like literally getting onto a boat and paying the fare and going away is just the product of what his heart has already done. His body is following his heart. And so we see here that Jonah 
wasn't probably just afraid of the Assyrians. He wasn't, you know, probably just nervous about the impossibility of this mission. He was actually resistant to God's grace. And, and we're just going to jump ahead just real quickly here to chapter 4. And Jonah gives us actually the reason why he ran away in the first part. So in, ver in chapter 4, it says this, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That, that, is, that is why I want to haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Jonah's like, I knew that you were going to be gracious, God. I knew that you were going to be gracious. And he quotes Exodus. He's, he's well versed with, this, with the word of God, with the, the Torah. He knows that what he's saying here in chapter 4 is from Exodus. And he's saying, I know all about this grace that you've given to us, God. But listen, knowing grace and knowing about grace are two very different things. Knowing grace and knowing about grace are two totally different things. And we see here that Jonah knew about grace, but he didn't truly know grace. And so the cross is probably the best place that we can look to to understand grace. But we can actually look at the cross and say, I'm really thankful for the cross for those people who really need it. I'm thankful that, yeah, like my sins are covered. Sure, my sins are covered. But there's some people whose, their, their sins, they really need some coverage, right? And so looking at the cross actually is, is where we're supposed to go to understand the depth of God's grace toward us. It's when we look and see that the things that, that put Christ on the cross were actually things that we did, that you and I did. And so it's, it's not just an idea it actually brings us closer to understanding it and c.s lewis uh, said this has this really interesting quote in the in the book the problem of pain he wrote this he said in an instant of time while your friend hesitates for a word what things pass through your mind we have never told the whole truth we may confess ugly facts the meanest cowardice or the shabbiest and most prosaic impurity, but the tone is false. Okay, what's, what's he trying to say there? He's saying even in the midst of a little conversation, there are things that come into our mind that we wouldn't even admit maybe to our closest friend, right? We've all done that before. You're like, why did that even pop into my head? Or maybe you think something and you're like, I'm so glad I didn't say that out loud because I shouldn't, right? That is just a wrong thought. And C.S. Lewis is just trying to get our imagination going that we are much more sinful than we would ever even admit. And the grace that God gives to us is so much deeper than we could ever admit. And the Apostle Paul, who was also a reluctant servant at first, was probably clearest when he said in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says this, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. 
You see the present tense that Paul is saying there? He's saying, of whom I am the foremost. He's not just like, I was really bad. I used to murder Christians. I was terrible, but I'm thankful for the cross. He's saying, I'm still bad. I'm still prone to wickedness. I'm still prone to run away from God. And Paul says, I'm thankful for grace. I'm so thankful for grace that it just keeps coming. It is never ending. And this is what Jonah, it actually got him angry that God would be gracious like this, right? We would, we would think that we would be thankful. We would be just so overjoyed that we have experienced that kind of grace. But, but Jonah is resentful and angry. And, and maybe though, if, if we're honest, maybe that's some of us. In certain callings, in certain moments, think of those times where you have been hurt by someone or think of those times where you have felt so insecure that the feelings that you felt in that moment, those are the things that Christ went through and Christ gave grace in response. Now our calling as believers is to be Grace givers to people who don't give good or grace back to us. And that's what Jonah is being asked to do. And so in a broken relationship, you know, in a intimidating, uh, to an intimidating coworker or to some difficult situation where your natural response is no to grace. I want to say no to grace in this moment. And I think society would even say, I'm okay not to give grace in this moment. This is where a deep understanding of God's grace through the cross compels us to be givers of grace. So Jonah runs. And then we see his final mistake or maybe misunderstanding is a better word. And it comes up twice. So in verse 3, we see there that Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And then at the end of verse 3, again it says, he went down to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. He tried to get away from God. And A.W. Tozer has this famous quote that says, what you think about God is the most important thing about you. What you think God is like is the most important thing about you because it will influence who you are as a person. It ultimately influences your actions. And so here, Jonah says something that is impossible. He's trying to get away from the presence of the Lord. And God is pursuing him. And God pursues us. God is on a rescue mission. There is never a time where God is not pursuing us or people in general. God is continually pursuing us. And so there's different ways that God gives it. One of the ways that one of the ways that we can call it is common grace. That God just is gracious to people and gives good things to people, gives good things to everybody. Matthew chapter 5 says, he sends the sun, it rises on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. So the the food that we all enjoy on this planet, like all the flavors, is the goodness of God. The, the beautiful weather, or if you're the kind of person that loves a rainy day, some people love rainy days, right? That is a 
gift from God. The, the art that we enjoy, these are all gifts from God. I remember reading um, Steve Jobs' biography, um, and it talked about his journey with pancreatic cancer. And right at the end of his life, he was really close to dying. He asked if um, Yo-Yo Ma would come and play his cello in his room as he was dying on his bed. That moment of enjoying a skilled hand playing an instrument is a gift from God. All these moments are common grace. They are God pursuing us. They, they may not be as clear a revelation as the word of God, but they are God pursuing people and mankind. The storms of life are also God pursuing us. We're going to talk about that next week when we see the storm that Jonah faces. But this pandemic, and I don't know if you've had opportunities to have conversations with people, this pandemic is actually God pursuing us. Through pain, God pursues us. It's None of us sit here saying, I want pain so that I can experience God pursuing me. We all want God pursuing us on the sunny days, right? But when you go through the pain, you discover that God is there, that God is pursuing you. Also, as believers, we have the body of Christ and we have the Holy Spirit. So Jonah says, I'm trying to get away from the presence of the Lord. And, and maybe we've even said that at different times and we've had experiences in our life where maybe it hasn't verbally come out, but we've said, I'm trying to get away from the presence of God. I want to do my own thing. I'm kind of feeling like God wants me to do this, but you know what? I can find some way to do that and be okay with it. And God can do his thing over there. And what we find is that God graciously pursues. He pursues. He never leaves us. And so we may try to run from God, but what we discover in the book of Jonah is that God is pursuing, and God is pursuing people. And this whole book, the Bible, is God's story of rescue, right? Of how God has worked out a rescue for, for every single person who will turn to him. There's many stories, we'll end with this, there's many stories in, in the Gospels that, that talk about God's pursuit and his desire to find and seek people. And, and one of the ones that stood out this week for me was in Matthew chapter 18. And we won't read it, but it's, it's the story of the lost sheep. And really in the context there, um, Jesus is talking about little children. You know, the disciples are like, little children, come on, waste the time. You got like sweet miracles to do. That's what you got to do with some adults here. Cure some lepers or something. And, and Jesus is trying to put the focus on, no, everybody actually is a part of my mission. I am pursuing everybody. And so he tells the story of the hundred sheep and one of them goes missing, right? You're probably familiar with this story. One of them goes missing and he's, the shepherd is left with a dilemma. Do I just kind of count my losses and like, oh, lost one. It's going to happen, bound to happen. I'm going to stick with the 99. Jesus actually says, no, he leaves the 99 desperately in search on the rescue mission for the one that has left. The one that has even, um, either out of deliberate choice or just has wandered away, whatever the reason, might have been valid, might have been invalid, the shepherd will go after it. And the story ends with this. It says, 
So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. That is not the will of God that even one of these little ones would perish. And so as we look at Jonah over the coming weeks here, this is, yes, the story of a reluctant prophet, but the overarching storyline is it's about a rescuing God, a God that will never stop at rescuing people who, who have never turned to him and also reluctant prophets like you and I, people who reluctantly, grudgingly move forward. He's never going to, we can't get away from him. He is going to pursue us. Let's pray together. God, thank you for being a pursuing God. Thank you for this uh, beautiful story of Jonah and the life of this prophet. And uh, Lord, we just pray that in the coming weeks as we uh, take a deeper look at this amazing book, that you would help us see um, ourselves through the person of Jonah, but that you'd also help us to see uh, you and your loving hand as you've um, just accomplished this amazing rescue mission through the person of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that even in this season that um, we would just turn to you and that we would stop running away, Lord, in whatever the circumstances that we might be running from. I pray that we would turn to you and put our trust in you and uh, that we would just grow in our confidence to, to lean on your strength in whatever situation you put us in. Thank you, God, for these times that we have together to worship and to trust you even in the middle of this pandemic. Lord, we also think of Woodside today as they have their first in-person services. Lord, would you just help our, our mother church to have a great uh, first Sunday together and help them with the, all the details, Father. And I pray that the, the people that are there would just experience your presence in a really special and profound way. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.